0: This is the unscripted podcast.
1: Hey guys, welcome to uh, our fourth episode on the straw man of Tulip. We um, Tulip, jet to quit, to quit. Bob's MC Hammer. <laughs> tulip oh, don't do that. Okay. We may get a copyright thing if you do that. You That's sure right. get flagged again
0: by <laughs> yeah. the Taliban.
1: Right. Right. The um. So we're on our fourth installment of the Tulip, and um. You know, we've been looking at the the kind of the straw man that Tulip represents, and how it is you know we want, we really want people to understand how these things affect the way that we view scriptures when we when we understand that god works or believe god works in a certain way then it, it certainly clouds our judgment and we we look at the scriptures from that perspective
0: yes yeah, especially today especially really when we when we're dealing with the eye with irresistible grace it yeah. it will it will really change um, your perspective on a lot of things Uh, And so today we got a guest, so Chris, you want to introduce your guest
1: to us? Yeah, this is Todd Clipper. he preaches for the church in Burleson, Alabama, and um, I just need to go on and get this out there, Bob, Todd preaches with a bow tie on.
0: Okay, well, Todd, good to meet you, Uh, I have, this is really unscripted, because I have never met you before a day in my life, correct?
2: That's correct, that is correct, truly unscripted.
1: Well, it's better this way.
0: Yeah. Todd was listening. I heard though he was listening to our podcast until his phone died right,
1: yesterday. Either
0: it was so long or or it was so bad. I don't know. <laughs>
2: we killed his uh, phone. Dude, I man, I've been on I've been on some kind of problem here lately where I can never pick up my phone and go anywhere with it over about thirty percent charge. You know, and so and then you sit out in the cold and that just kills the battery. And
1: I know I was hunting the other day and I texted a buddy of mine and I said, "What did we do before we had?" Um- cell phones. And he said, shoot more deer. <laughs> yeah, right,
2: yeah. Right. yeah. Uh-uh.
1: So Todd's going to, you know, Todd, consequently, I saw that Todd was doing, uh, you know, they're, they're y- y'all do like a Q and a on Sunday
2: night sometimes. Right. Is that what, what y'all do it? Every Sunday, except on singing night, which is the third Sunday of the month. We have live Q and a every Sunday night. Oh, cool. Yeah.
1: And so tell us how we kind of ended up on the same pathway here because you're one letter behind us, right?
2: Ain't that the way it is? Well, well, I don't know if that's how I describe it, but uh, <laughs> we—I uh, had uh, a um, well back in fifteen and sixteen. I had a nineteen-week series on Calvinism, man, and uh, and we we studied it from the from the viewpoint of looking at all the scriptures that were used in defense of Calvinism. Right. Rather than, rather than just saying, all right, here's what Calvinism says, but this, this scripture says this. We right. look at the scriptures that they provided yep. and research those to come up with a proper understanding of what those passages actually teach. Now, having said that, uh, the most recent situation was I had made some reference to Calvinism um, in a Sunday morning sermon, and one of our deacons uh, was in a discussion with a coworker, and she made mention that the church where she attended, and she used this terminology. She said, "We believe in in the in the five step tulip doctrine." Right. And so he came to me on um, Wednesday night, and he said, um, "He said she said she'd watch if you'd preach on Calvinism on Sunday." I mean, man, that's no brainer. Ten four, right?
0: That's what we're gonna and roll so, with.
2: And so I, and it just so happened that it was January 30th. And on the, th- on the fifth Sunday, we have no evening service, but we have two sermons in the morning. Right. So I spent two sermon periods Sunday morning dealing with each of the five Calvinism right. tenets. Uh, it ended up being nearly an hour and 10 minutes long total. So you know, basically two 35 minute sermons on, on, on the tulip doctrine. And, and so, you know, well, I guess sure
0: we're, we're twice right. as good as him then, because we preach our ten sermons <laughs> in one sermon. So, yeah. Yeah. you know,
1: uh, and and that's the reason why that's kind of the approach we're taking with it, like you did in fifteen and sixteen. And it's just a it's just a more conducive scenario if you really think about it to to really help people understand where. You know, because we can, we can, you know, the the, you know, by grace you're saved. Well, over here it says baptism, baptism saves you. Well, that may be all well and fine, but what they really need to understand is they really need a reshaping of of what their view on this particular scripture is, because right. that's where the pollution comes from. It's not that you're gonna, it's not that we're gonna try to stack up pennies and see who stack gets taller at the end, and then I win. Because really, what you're going to do is, you know, like Isaiah said, let's come to, let's reason together on this thing, and so. You know, our this was born out of one of our members saying, "Hey, can you can y'all cover?" We, we set we told the church at the beginning of the year that we wanted to kind of set out, um, as it were, what uh, what what are some questions that you guys want answered on our podcast? That that's a more conducive scenario than than from the pulpit or or from Bible class, you know, where we'd have to kind of take a tangent on something. And so this was one of the questions posed by one of our members: What are the differences in all the churches? Well. I mean, that's about like trying to put number eight load at a buck running, and so it's just it's just so hard to answer and be effective with that. So, what but we,
0: so many of the denominations are called up in Calvinism,
1: right? And
0: and these friends of faith, I mean, they they believe it to be to be true, and so today we're going to dive into irresistible grace, and so we thank you for for being on here with us. So. So Chris, uh, how, w- you want to go to the canon of Dort, and you want to yeah, read some and so of the, it. That's... the only
1: reason I'm reading this is because, you know, the 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 challenge with any of these doctrines is that they're evolutionary. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I'm the part of Virginia that I'm from, Lynchburg is is one of the hotbeds of Calvinism and premillennialism, and you know, you almost got a you got a you got to help them understand what they their their false stance on doctrine before mm-hmm. before you can actually help. Help them through it because yeah. it's so varied. So, the canon of Dort, you know, the kind of historical perspective, this was, this becomes such a hotbed issue that, you know, a fraction, you know, fa- I mean, a faction was warring over this that they needed to just sit down and formally write it, mm-hmm. you know, just like the Apostles' Creed. And so, you know, this has got a lot of real, you know, we read the, the first three, we'll read the fourth one today. And, and so this is their kind of synopsis of the way that they believe that the eye works. And we'll just kind of pick through the briars on some of this in a few minutes. But it says, but when God accomplishes his good pleasure in the elect or works in them true conversion, he not only causes the gospel to be externally preached to them. So, so when a person is converted, the way God does that is he causes the gospel to be externally preached to them. And powerfully illuminates their mind by his Holy Spirit, that they might rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. But by the efficacy of the same regenerating Spirit, spirit he pervades the inmost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the hardened heart, and, and circumcises that which is uncircumcised, infuses new qualities into the will, which though heretofore is dead... He quickens from being evil, disobedient, and refractory. He renders it good, obedient, and pliable, and actuates and strengthens it, that like a good tree, it may bring forth fruits of good action. So what we're seeing here is that because we're born sinners, total depravity, Mm -hmm. and it's an unconditional election with limited atonement, that because of these two things that precede it, because we're born sinners, God's chosen who he's going to save, and he's limited that number to a certain amount. Now, because a person is, is born a sinner, they're born in such a shape, that God then must work on that person, as this teaches, externally to teach them the gospel, so that then through the Holy Spirit entering them through the gospel, that's what they're saying, is that when the gospel is taught, then the Holy Spirit enters into that person, And then it works on their heart and therefore kind of makes them this pliable person. It says, softens the hardened heart and circumcised, that's which uncircumcised. It then quickens from being evil, disobedient, and refractory, renders it good, obedient, and pliable. So it's painting this picture that when God chooses Bob, Bob's going to externally, some kind of way, get the gospel to Bob. Then at that point, the gospel is activate the holy spirit is activated in bob and bob is then this pliable person that can no longer do wrong do evil
0: yeah but and also like article 12 adds to this and and that and this is that regeneration so highly extolled in scripture that renewal new creation resurrection from the dead making alive which god works in us without our aid right so you don't have a choice so when the gospel is taught you you can't even resist it. Right. And and so you can't be like you can't be like the, the, the Pharisees in Acts, you know, when Stephen's preaching to them right and, and resist it. And so so in other words, in, in Acts two, when Peter preached to 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 those on, on Pentecost
1: how hear we every man in our own tongue. This whole horn of the Mediterranean. They, was there. They're
0: all hearing it, but but only the ones who God chose were the ones who who were baptized?
1: Yeah, so it was about a God must have chose about three thousand from Jerusalem that day, and according to Acts and verse two and two and verse forty one.
0: Right, and and so when when Peter's saying, "Hey, this is this is to you, your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call." And so with any with many other words, he testified, and exhorted them, saying, "Be saved." Then those who gladly received his word, right. so that gladly receiving of his word. And you know, those who gladly received his word were baptized. So, in other words, according to this teaching is they're, they're, they're gladly receiving of the word. It was so, irre- like, they, they could not choose it. It was, it was God choosing it for them. And so, th- this means that every interaction that we read about in the book of Acts, well, yes, we believe that, that God sent men, and yes, men went to teach, and yes, the, the, that, that God was working in these things. But but in other words, there's no other choice. And so when, when you when you truly read the Bible, then it changes everything. So Todd, how can how can you help our listeners with with this and, and in response to this? And we'll put you on the spot, man.
2: Well, I, one thing it has to be. I think it's important to remember when you're thinking about the two doctrine is that is that um, the the first and the fourth of those doctrines are tied together, and the second and third of those doctrines are tied together. Um, of course, with the idea of, of total depravity, then you understand, if the doctrine of total depravity were true, which is obviously the tea and mm-hmm. tulip, then, then it would re, it would require an irresistible act of God's grace to overcome that depravity. And so, and so that would be you know, that would be something that would you'd want to understand is is how, first of all, how those, particularly the first four, uh, tenets of Calvinism are tied together, with one and four, and then obviously two and three are are inextricably tied, even though some claim to be fourth point Calvinists and they reject the idea of limited atonement, but that's another argument. That that was an argument for the last podcast. Yeah, Uh, right, right. But uh, but the idea idea of irresistible grace really runs contrary to the very nature of God. Uh, You can read, uh, for example, uh, read uh, some of the comments and commentaries uh, of Calvinists who speak about how God chooses to exercise his grace in the lives of sinners. As as if as if because God is sovereign, then every instance of the of the exercise of his grace is also sovereign, which means it's completely apart from the will of any man. And if you think about it, how, how could how could a, how could a gracious loving God be so particular in the exercise of his grace if he was truly a gracious and loving God? Well, one of the things
1: that they say is is that that is – now, now. don't shoot the messenger here because, you know, when you say this, it's like one of them things like, you know somebody's going to tell you something crazy, so don't make that stupid look, you know? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that they'll say is is that God's – which sounds like a more loving God, a God that loves a certain group of people – that he would then actively seek that certain group of people and save them to the uttermost, to their own, you know, whether they want it or not. Or does this sound like a loving God, a God that loves us in general, just in general terms, and then allows us the chance to to access our own salvation, which we cannot attain? Because so if Calvinism is true... We cannot do anything to attain our salvation, so the,
0: and, the, and we we agree to that in in the standpoint that in the standpoint that our works will not save us yeah when, well, that, that you can't you can't do something to earn your salvation it's through God's grace, but this idea that you that, that choosing the gospel though they're saying that, that even you choosing Christ is not your choice. And That's and that right. would be earning something. Yeah,
1: and and it's just this it's the straw man. I mean, when Noah got done building the ark, he didn't get to shake his fist and say, All right, you know, I did my part, you hold up yours. Noah yeah. Noah you know, God puts Noah in the ark says, Go on inside. You did what you're supposed to do. I mean, over and over then, these are these are faith responses is what mm-hmm. you're seeing. Right. And so like John six and verse forty four is a real, you know, key point for the Calvinist and and in, in, in this perspective of, of irresistible grace that Jesus, you know, John 6 is about cutting bait, right? right. I mean, you know, all these folks are following him, and he's got, um, you know, it's time to start cutting bait. And so he's, this is where we have the, you know, you can't, if you're going to, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood and all these kind of, you know, things that they say are hard sayings. Well, in John 6 and verse 44, it says that, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. therefore who everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So So you think about the way Jesus ties these things it, together. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up at the last days.
0: Amen Jesus.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and, and and Peter echoes that I mean Jesus kind of echoes that sentiment, in Matthew 16. You know, when, when, you know, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. But it's not like Peter got a download, right? Yeah. So I I think about Psalm 25 and verse number 8 with this verse because Jesus says in verse 45, it is written in the prophets. So he gives a commentary on it, in case you don't understand this. Yeah. It's written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. And they shall
0: all be taught by God. Yeah. Not a select few yeah right
1: right they're going
0: to all be taught by God and then the the people who hear and learn from the Father they come that's a there's a lot of choices hearing learning and coming there's a there's a lot of choosing there and but but Calvinism teaches that that's that it's so irresistible that you can't you you're not making those choices God's making them for you yeah, My, the, the
2: key the key word you're going to hear from the Calvinist with reference to John 644. Is that the word draw, draw. means to drag. Mm. That's that is that is for them the linchpin of John six forty four. That got that the word draw means to drag. And that uh, and that God's irresistible grace is the means by which he drags you into a relationship with him. And and, now, and, and go ahead. Well, the problem the problem with that you well and I would, not, I would never deny that, that the particular word there could be used in that respect. It's used to, uh, to draw a net of fish. It's used to uh, drag Paul out of the temple. Um, there, there are a number, but, but it's also used with regard to Peter drawing his sword. Um, and so as with any, with any word, context determines meaning and usage. Yeah. And so you know the same John who quoted Jesus in John six forty four, where Jesus said, "No man can come except the Father draw him." That same John recorded Jesus is saying in John twelve thirty two, "I'll be lifted up." I'll be lifted up from the earth. I will what? Draw. draw all men. Draw all men unto me. Same word. Draw.
1: Same word. Exactly right. And, and so, so,
2: if it, if it, so, is Jesus going to drag people to him? No. Through the cross? No. And if it is, of course, not. and again, here comes another problem with, with Calvinistic theology. You know, sometimes all doesn't mean all, even though it says all. Well, it's just like the world, right? Paul in
1: Colossians 1 said that the gospel had been preached to the whole world. And and John says, love not the world nor the things there in the world. But, but John originally, I mean, before that, says that God love the world so much. Right. And so all this boils down to context, and it's just this idea that I'm trying to grab out of it, something that can prove my point. And so, you know, Psalm 25.8. Yeah, well, know,
0: we'll come back to Psalm 25.8. We've got to take a little break, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up right here.
1: Okay. The last couple of years feels like we're cast in a movie we don't understand which part we play in it. It seems like the line between who's the hero and the villain have been blurred. We thought by now it would come to its happy ending. I suppose that that's because we're looking at life like it's a short sitcom, when really, it's an epic tale. We really just needed to look down the road farther, and who we are right now doesn't define us. So Who's really been directing our path then? it's time we consider the source. Living in the right now, I'll never see what I can become. We see the Lord as our director, and he's weaving an epic tale where we all play an important part. My short-term losses, he turns into long-term gains. You've listened to all the rhetoric, and you've tried all the fads, and nothing worked. Because all those things were focused on the momentary, it's time to have an eternal vision. And your story can start with us today and finally become the new you in 22. You know, Jesus is talking, uh, you know, how how God, this process of drawing to us, right? And Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. So, you know, in, in Matthew 11, when Jesus uses this scenario of the yoke, right? You know, we got this yoke, in our auditorium right now. And, and when Jesus is going through this scenario of this, of this, of this yoke, he's, he's saying that all you people that are laboring, all you that have these big burdens, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and what does he say? Learn, right? Learn. That's what, that's what really it's about. It's, it's this, you know, when I think about this drawing, I don't think about like I'm pulling something along, but, but as a machinist, it's real easy for me to understand that it's the progressive die, that you start out with this shape and then you neck it down as you come out on the other side, that you end up, you may start out with a, a round bar, but you end up a square bar on the other side. And that's what God is doing with, with when he's teaching us. He's drawing us through these things and he's helping us to become the people that we need to be. There's no short circuit in the process. Yeah, he's,
0: he's pruning and he's, he's molding. But it's also my choice to stay in the yoke.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and that's why Peter on Pentecost, you know, that's why he offers this invitation. He needs to reason with them, right? You know, no, we're not drunk, seeing but the third hour of the day, but this was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Mm-hmm. And and he goes through this whole spiel and, and you guys have been waiting on David. Well, we can go over and look at his bones right now. And and, and the same Jesus that you saw do all these miracles, signs and wonders, God's raised him and God's crucify and glorified him. And so now he's he's Using logic, why? Why would he use logic for it? And so, you know, here's a here's another one that they say is that this idea that the Holy Spirit works on the heart. You know, when it when it enters in, I'm sure you've heard this a lot, Todd, is that the Holy Spirit enters in and then it starts this, I don't know, like um, a swaging process, as it were, on the heart.
2: Well, the the terminology that the Calvinist will use is that is that at the point the Holy Spirit operates on the heart of that individual, that regeneration takes place at that point. And that regeneration, and any any honest Calvinist will tell you this, they believe that regeneration precedes faith. Right. That regeneration pre and by the way, you can Google that. You can Google that. Does regeneration yeah, yeah. precede faith? Yes. And the Gospel Call, co- you know, the Gospel Coalition, or yep. all you know, of them. Desiring God gives you God. faith. You know, Desiring God or RC Pro, all, you know, all, all those websites. They're all going to affirm that regeneration uh, pre that it, that, it, that you're a new creature before you even have the capacity to believe.
0: Yep, and, and so, Which which negates John three sixteen.
2: Well
1: it, it really you know, I mean
2: five hundred other things. Hey,
1: right, yeah, John right. five thirty I mean Acts five thirty two I thought says, that's
0: where you're going. I turned the same place. Go ahead. It says
1: and we are witnesses and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to who?
0: To those who obey him.
1: To those who obey him, not to those who are elect. And so, you know, when Peter stands up on Pentecost, he's, he's affirming that, that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's but preceded by repentance and baptism there. Yeah, and faith, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. they've done unexp- you know, they've, they've confessed that, hey, you know, we, we got to fix this thing. Yeah. They've heard that there's something wrong. That's why you don't get them, do you believe that Jesus is the Son? Of-? They don't need to say that. Their words, what do we do, is a confirmation that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And so they're they're saying all right, well how do we complete this process now? And so it's not it's the holy spirit working on him in the sense that he's pouring out through Peter's words there, but it's not in the sense of it's some kind of some kind of uh, uh, auto softening thing that's happening for him there.
0: Yeah, so Todd what what can you add to this or 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 expound more?
2: Well, what one, one thing and, and this is just purely from a perspective of, of trying to teach someone who perhaps holds these particular views. Is is one thing that I would, where I would begin, is to is to properly define the terms that are, that are used commonly in these discussions. Right. Uh, for example, somebody had. If you it, it, look, if you begin with a misunderstanding or an, an improper view of what it means to be elect, yeah, you're, you're done. You're done. Right. right. You're done. I right. Mean, if, if you, if a person doesn't understand what it means to be elect, don't, they don't have the biblical understanding of that. They're cooked. You, you can't. You can't go any further. Uh, if they don't have the understanding of what it means to be. Uh, uh, a sinner, predestined or foreordained. Mm-hmm. If you don't have, yeah. if you don't have the right uh, concept of those particular, words, unless
0: you believe in Calvinism, because then it's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, but see, but that's that's how this whole thing. That's how this whole thing ends up with irresistible grace right. because you have a misunderstanding. First of all, the, the basic misunderstanding is the sovereignty of God. The second misunderstanding is the nature of man. And then you start into the the the, the Calvinistic theology of of election, uh, 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 predestination, which I, it, it, it is the same thing, right? It's, election, it's, and predestination yeah,
0: and we, de- we dealt we dealt with that, yeah, yeah. We we
1: took right, about an hour and a half but, on that one,
2: but, yeah. But when you, when, but it, when by the time you get to irresistible grace, somebody needs to have a proper understanding of, of the terminology that's. Uh, that's involved, and then just and then just look at some of what some of what the Bible says uh, with regard to the matter of grace. For example, of uh, Titus two, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all, all men. Teaching, and man. what does it do? It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. You know, to live soberly, righteously, and godly. But but it doesn't force us to do anything. It teaches us. That's right, and,
1: and so that's why the, the, the big hiccup to this whole thing is that when we understand fundamentally that we're in the shape we're in not because of something Adam did, but because something we did.
2: Right. See,
1: see, that that to me show you know, once you understand the sovereignty of God and then you build on that man's own decision, you know, he holds the key to his own salvation because he holds the key to his own damnation with the same hand. And so right. that's why God wants us to understand the nature of who he is and the nature of what our sin does. And so with regards to that, that's why we can't why we can't be born babe, uh, sinners as babies and all these other, you know, inherited sin doctrines that kind of
2: bubble up out of the tea. And, right. so, and so... Well, think about, you know, obviously Titus 2.11 is a good passage, but... You know, one thing you know one thing we can do to help people get to the heart of the matter is, is to ask questions uh ask them questions in other words if um, if i, I was gonna if i was gonna ask somebody or speak with somebody about the doctrine of irresistible grace i'd go second Corinthians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 and i would i would ask i'd say first of all who's the audience and yeah the let's audience just let's just the go story. there
1: let's just do that yeah, then let's just go there
2: I mean the audience is Christians. There, there's there's no question that Second Corinthians is written to save people.
0: Yeah. All
2: right. So if it's written to save people who've been saved by the irresistible grace of God, why would Paul make the statement, We beseech you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In vain. And that was Second Corinthians how six was that even, One two. how is that even possible? If the doctrine of irresistible grace it is is accurate and right, how does one receive the irresistible grace of God in vain? Mm-hmm. Well, you know,
1: you back up on this, Todd. You know, like this is this is proof logic from the scriptures, but. If you you know I just what I call my hillbilly filter let's just run some of this things through our hillbilly filter if 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 grace is irresistible and it's only to the elect why in the world then would Paul be traipsing around the known world and writing all these letters to these congregations for if the corinthians if they're part of the elect there. I mean, just keep on letting them be uh, homosexuals and thieves and all this and that and the other stuff because if it really works on the heart of the individual, then them guys would have straightened up afterwards. But that's not what Paul, when he tells the Galatians in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, that's the things that happens afterwards. That's the happens after the drawing. the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, peace, you know, all these things, we go through that list there, because these are the, when he says, against such there is no law, why? Because these things have, they've been planted in your soul, they've borne fruit, and now you can be confident in judgment. And so Mm -hmm. if, if it's no, if it is, if it's irresistible and only to the elect, why do we have any book past Romans, just so we can sell Bibles or commentaries?
2: Right. Right. You know, I mean, and, we should just button up the history of the church with Acts and then just go on our merry way. Yeah, and, and another thing that we haven't mentioned is is that, uh, and I, I don't remember if it's in um, I don't remember if it's in the canons. Of the door. By the way, I've got a great little book here. It's called Calvinism in the Light of God's Word, written by C. A. Finster. Now, Brother Finster was a Calvinist at one time and has written this book. And it's got all the comments of the canon, the door, It's got you know, stuff from the institutes of the Christian religion, uh, whatnot. And um, and and so, so I'm reading, and you know, I'm reading some of this. But what you find is, is that also connected to this doctrine of irresistible grace is that irresistible grace gives to man a new heart and a new nature. That's right. Now, if if men are given a new heart, and it's given to them by God. And they have a new nature that is given to them by God. How is it then that 70% of the well probably 50% of the Bible is written to prevent people with a new nature and a new heart from going into apostasy? And and yeah. why in the world are we breeding
1: it back into us again?
2: And and how 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 is it that a man with a new nature and a new heart would have his father's wife? First Corinthians five and verse one. Right. Yeah how does a man with a new nature do that and, and, and how, that goes back to that
1: question if it's a new nature how in the world does not everyone after that offspring
2: come out the right way right that goes back that goes back to what where you and I were talking about the, the facebook post said if, yeah. if, if an unregenerate man passes sin to his offspring how come a man with the nature from god doesn't pass on righteousness to him that's exactly
1: right and and so it it, it goes back to this so and, and here's another kicker to this thing like because of this irresistible grace and this manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your lives, why in the world do we have so many people that come up with all these different conclusions for it? Is God the author of confusion? No. Well, the Holy Spirit must be then, if that's the case, because you've got all these people coming up. I mean, Todd, I've, I've had the craziest stories in the world. I had a guy one time tell me that a little bird sat down beside of him on a park bench and rubbed him with his wings, and he looked down and said, Is that you, Lord? And the little bird rubbed him with his wing, and he said, "I knew I was saved right then, just like that dove coming oh, down on you." G- Listen, let me tell you something. I hit a bird, I hit a pheasant on my Harley you with the my- Holy Spirit. Yeah, I hit a pheasant on my Harley going about fifty mile an hour with my face. One time, was he telling me I'm going to hell? You know, what I mean, is that the conclusion I'm supposed to come to? And so, Chris killed the Holy Spirit <laughs> with his Harley, but it was a pheasant this time. It was a pheasant. Yeah, it won't a dove this time. Okay. Yeah, so. so-
0: Right there in Second Corinthians 5 verse 9, he says therefore we make it our aim whether present or absent to be well pleasing to him to be pleasing to the Lord. And then you think about Hebrews 11:6 that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's the drawing. That's the drawing. And so so God is he must believe that he is and and he and he that he's a, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's that's something that that, that's a must.
1: Yeah, and so why when, when you think about this thing in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, and, and when he goes through this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, that means that somebody had to teach them in order and, for these things. And that's, he's
0: telling them, don't go back. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't go back and live in
1: sin." Yeah, it. that's that Titus 2.11, that, you know, Titus 2.11, that that the grace of God teaches us. Well, you know, the grace of God teaches us that after it's offered us hope. It's not just like Paul showed up and said, hey, all you boys, all you uh, homosexuals, y'all got to tighten up. And All you guys living in adultery, y'all got to tighten up. And they said, well, I sure am glad somebody told me that. You know, right. when well, he showed up and, and, he, and he told them about the grace of God and about the hope of salvation and this, and this eternal reward. That's why you could see Christianity spreading through the Roman Empire at, at, a, at like a, a firestorm in the first century because it offered them hope. Not that it offered them this, you know, condemnation of their, of their sinful practices. While those things had to be told to them, they had to understand the hope before they could change their
2: ways. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, I was thinking about, you know, we're reading from, from uh, Articles uh, 11 and 12 from the Canon of you know, it, it if, you know, If one were so inclined, and, 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 you know, these things are not hard to find. Like I said, has got them quoted in his book. I've got a little book called uh, 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 The Five Points Defined, Defined and Defended by Thomas and Steele. It's probably the most well-known uh, work in defense of Calvinism. Uh, but if, if one will look at the words that are used by the Calvinists to describe certain things such as, and I was just thinking about this while you were reading. Uh, so you weren't, I mean you weren't listening? That I means you will not listening. What? That means you will not listening. I was listening. Okay, all right. You said you were listening. No, look, when you were reading the Article 11, I was reading it in <laughs> Feaster's book.
0: <laughs> He's messing with
2: you. <laughs> I know, but look at it look at the words that they use he circumcises that which is uncircumcised well all right all right so you know what what does the Bible... so if that's if that's going to be their defense of irresistible grace i'm going to ask you a question what does the bible say about when that circumcision takes place
0: yeah it's a circumcision of the heart that's right that's
2: exactly right yeah that's what he told I the mean, Galatians it, and and they're it, it's it's uh it's Colossians two, Colossians 2 11, yeah. 12. It's uh it's uh Romans two, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. Yep. You know, those passages are clear as to when that circumcision take uh, takes place. Let's uh l- um, let
0: me let me read Colossians two just right quick. Sure. Colossians two, just for our listeners, because I don't want people to just take our word for it. Eleven and twelve. In him this is Christ. And, and I love verse 9. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, what would that be? <laughs> Canon of dirt. According to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you were complete in him. You're complete in Christ. Verse 11. In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses.
2: There it is. The circumcision is made without hands, and, and, and it's described as taking place when we're buried with Christ in baptism. Yeah. And and that so, so I'm, not appo- I'm not opposed to the I'm not opposed to the use of the term he's he circumcises the uncircumcised. I just want to know when the Bible says it happened. Yeah,
0: but they're gonna say, well, that one there, that's the Holy Spirit baptism. That's not the that's not water baptism. That just not one and the same, you know. And, and, and it's like, Well well, there's scriptures that teach about how there's only one baptism, you know. Ephesians yeah. four, there's only one. And, you know, and then we see where the, where the eunuch and Philip went down into the water after he had taught him, and after the eunuch had said, uh, "Philip says, you understand what you're reading?" He said, "How can I unless someone guides me?" You know, and then and so Philip preaches Jesus
1: to him. And so either go, Philip, either the eunuch was part of the elect or he won't, and Philip was practicing. <laughs>
0: Philip just practicing. <laughs> yeah. he, why do you have to preach Jesus to somebody? Well, it's because yeah. they need. All men have to be taught. That's part of that drawing is. Is is su- surrendered to, to God's word. And that's what he that's what the eunuch was doing. He was surrendering to Isaiah 53. And right.
1: and you know, they, they use this transforming thing. You know, this Colossians 1 and verse 13, he delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of his do- dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. How do we have redemption through his blood? The forgiveness of sins. How do we access his blood? You know, so this this goes back to this. You know, the, you know. Even now, I know sometimes some of our brothers and sisters may get a little wiggly on this, but baptism is just as much a faith response as repentance or confession yeah, yeah. or any of those things. I mean, I can. That's what happened in Acts nineteen. These boys had been baptized, but they hadn't been baptized according to faith.
0: Exactly, and we haven't even heard for such things as the Holy Spirit. Yeah, what
1: are you talking about? Exactly right. And so, so you know, we we understand that that the Holy Spirit works on the heart of man, absolutely. Yeah. That's Hebrews 4 and verse 12. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That's how the Holy Spirit... That's yeah. how come you can sit down with somebody in God's words written in such a unique way that no matter their situation, it's immutable and timeless. And so you've got this scenario where you can sit down with somebody and help them understand exactly the, the, the their situation and then how to respond to it out of it.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and now... And... Uh, I'll let you go in just a second, Todd. But I didn't finish a second ago. I didn't. I, I sometimes do that. I don't finish a complete thought. But but this whole idea is that you know the eunuch and the and Philip went down into the water and he baptized him. And then also what we read about in you know in First Corinthians twelve it talks about that that by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. So right. there's a spiritual baptism and a water baptism and it happens at the same time. And that's the circumcision of the heart being buried with him in baptism.
2: That's right. That's exactly right. I got to thinking about um, the, the the idea of illumination or the idea of, of regeneration, and and um, now this is this is from this is directly from Calvin's Institute. So All right,
0: th- we're going to pick it up right there, Todd. In just a second, we're going to let you do it. We're going to take another break. All
2: right. so the, the idea the idea of this this direct operation of the Holy Spirit, this irresistible, which by the way. Those those two things are the same. We haven't even talked about that in phraseology: the direct operation of the Holy Spirit, which is the same doctrine as the doctrine of irresistible grace. Right. But, but from Calvin, from Calvin's Institutes, it says that God gives the true knowledge of Himself in an internal manner by the illumination of His Spirit, Spirit, without the intervention of any preaching. Yeah. And so, so you know those are Calvin's words. Those are Calvin's words. That that God works on the heart of the individual through his Holy Spirit without the intervention of preaching. Well, what does the Bible say about preaching and hearing the words? Yeah,
0: Romans 10. Yeah.
2: You know, faith comes by hearing the words of Christ, Romans 10, 17. Right. Uh, God chose preaching to save, you know, to you know to save First Corinthians chapter one. Uh, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Right. Eighteen eight Acts eighteen eight. Um, you know, uh, the passage first reading. You know the foolishness of preaching to save those uh, who believe. Um, you know these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. John twenty and verse thirty one. I mean over and over and over again the Bible teaches that 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 faith comes through through hearing the word. You know hearing the word of God. And, 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 and freedom
1: has accompanied it, you know, with the, with the response. That's why Jesus, that. you know, in John 8 and verse 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. What's it setting you free from? You know, the, the bonds of sin. And, and, you know, that's why in Colossians 1 and verse 28, Paul says, him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present Every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. To this end, I labor, a striving according to the working which works in me mightily. Why labor, Paul, if it's just irresistible yeah. grace? Yeah, and 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 so you know, here, here's this illuminated thing. I, I love the word illuminated because it really draws. You know this. You know John does this light and dark contrast so much. Mm-hmm. You know that, and and I love the way that he does that. And, and in Hebrews ten. You know, when, when Paul is trying to get these boys, you know, y'all... y'all, y'all have you don't all you
0: know for sure if it's Paul, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, well, whoever. Whoever wrote Hebrews, you know, I say that sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we got this scenario where, where these guys are really struggling with being Christians, are really wanting to, you know, to slide back into yeah, Judaism. He, yeah,
0: he says you have native endurance after you've done the will of God.
1: Yeah, remember, I love this right here. Verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Amen. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. And he goes on to talk about the struggles they went through, that, that you were made a spectacle and you, you, you stood your ground with those guys that were being persecuted. And he says, for you have need of endurance. Why do they have need of endurance? Right. Why do they have need of endurance for us? So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Mm-hmm. It's not that what I did before that saved me. I don't get to go back and say, well, you know, I was really a great servant for the Lord 20 years ago or whatever when I when I was in my prime. Paul says, you got to endure all the way to the end because verse 39, we are not of those who who draw back to perdition, but those who of believe, those who believe to the, to, the to the saving of the soul, not because their souls are saved. Mm-hmm. We can't slide back into this perdition. That's why verse 38, now
0: the just,
1: the just shall live by faith. irresistible grace. Oh, faith, baby. It doesn't say irresistible grace. No. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And, and you, you, There's that draw word. So you right. got the draw and the illumination, in the same section of scriptures right there.
0: That's right. And, and uh, capitalizing on what Tom was saying, James 1, 18 through 21, talking about of, of his own, he brought forth by the word of truth. He brought it forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then in, in 21, he says that you receive with meekness the implanted word Which Which is able able to save your souls.
1: Yeah, and it piggybacks 1 Corinthians 4.15. Paul, you know, I begat you through what? The gospel. Through the gospel. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, you know, the, the challenge with this, you know, so that's why you see a lot of this, you know, as Calvin's, you know, this Calvinism evolves. You know, now we're at the, you know, you go back here in the mountains where I come from and you see all this pouring out of the Holy Spirit and all this manifestation and all this and and other ways. You know, do we really believe that it's just going to bubble up in certain ways in certain places? I mean, even, even that, you must be taught. You must be taught that the Spirit works this way in order for you to look for it to work this way. I would never know that 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 there is this irresistible grace that's going to happen to me unless somebody told me. You don't find, like I've been to the jungle. Mm-hmm. You don't find somebody in the jungle when you go to teach them the gospel that says, no, 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 no no, no worries, no worries. I, I already had this happen to me. I was out yeah. picking bananas one day, right. and one of them fell on my head, and I said, Lord. I knew it was him. I knew it was him. That doesn't <laughs> happen. You have to be taught that this is a possibility before you can pursue it. So it's only when where Calvin's influence has been reached is where it's at. So it, it's, it's not something that's just going to bubble up on its own. So, Todd, what is the – so you've been preaching for how long? I've
2: been here at Burleson 26 years.
1: All right, so 26 years there. And and from your perspective, don't you see that this – the tulip, you know, the these two, the T and the L and the U, I mean the T and the I – and the U and the AO are such a fundamental—I I don't know—genetic, you know, intertwining of all of our denominational friends. Don't you see that in there?
2: There, I think there's a—I think there's a marked difference between um, Calvinistic theology and Wesleyan theology. Sure, um, sure, uh, especially when
1: you get into but, the Armenian side of it or whatever.
2: So I—I I, I think I think there, generally speaking, there are two schools. In the denominational world, if right, we're going to get out of what we call the high church system, Catholicism and Orthodoxy, all right, of, among what what most of us know in the South as as religion, there's that there there are two schools of thought that that are predominant, and one is Calvinism, the other is Wesleyanism in various forms. Almost all of your uh, uh, Pentecostal groups or, or uh, Assembly of God groups have origins in Wesleyanism, right, and so. Uh, but uh, but Calvinism is far and away, far and away the most influential, and it's on the rise. Yeah, yeah, um, I mean, uh, all, the theolog- all the theological schools, you know,
1: I mean, I-, I remember literally, Todd, sitting, studying with one of the football coaches at Liberty in his office, and I could look out of the window and see the theology school, and I'm racing plays off his board, you know, as we're going through that, writing this stuff down, and I remember him asking me, you know, how come they can't see this? And he points out the window at the theology school, and I ask him the question, how come they can't see this? And he said, I think they're teaching doctrine instead of the Bible. And and yeah. that's what happens. They become so inexplicable. You know, we look at our Catholic friends and we say, hey, guys, you know, y'all got your traditions and everything like that that you hold up is just as good as what Jesus said. Well, you know, that may be, you know, we look at them and say that's wrong. But then what happens is as we intertwine those things into the way that we, we work religiously. I mean, your wife don't pull out her recipe card to fix biscuits. And
2: That's so right. all this stuff trickles down to us. Yeah, we're not going to talk about how my wife fixes biscuits. Okay, all right. Unless you want to talk about taking that can out of the refrigerator and <laughs> whopping it on the edge of the table. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to talk about
0: that. Hey, I, I want to I pull something together right quick that – uh Chris and I we we've actually we got some notes but I, I want to let's let's look at ephesians one for just a second all right and all right. talk and uh and talking about you know how that so ephesians 1 1 it says to the saints right you know right. that are at Ephesus well then you look at ephesians two one and two he says you know you who you were dead through your trespasses and sins you once walked according you know to the tradition of the of the world and then you, you go over to uh to verse 12 and 13, you know, talked about Christ in Ephesians 1, 12 and 13, Christ in whom you also trusted after you heard the word the truth. of truth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And after that, after you believed, you were you were then sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So this belief comes before that, and then you, you accompany that with what Chris was was talking about in Acts 19, referencing. Paul's in, in Ephesus over there. And you have these, uh, he found these certain disciples and they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus.
1: Yeah, I mean, arguably, I mean, if you really wanted to sit down, you know, arguably the the Ephesian church gets more, Chair time in the in the in the New Testament than any other church. I mean, you get the Ephesian letter, you get a, a, I mean Acts eighteen and verse nine. We get about three verses, and you get the Corinthian church started, and we just move on. Acts nineteen is about the the start of the Ephesian church, and and the book burnings and all those things that they do there. Paul writes his letter to Timothy while he's in Ephesus. The Lord uh, catches John, you know, on the Isle of Patmos, so he can write this letter to the to the church at Ephesus. I mean, all these things are 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 big ticket items, and and. So, you know, you go through this thing here and, and you know the Calvinists they're they they really do not like the book of James.
2: Yeah. Not, they call that the not.
1: straw man's gospel. You ever heard that called it that before, Todd? That's uh that's
2: Luther's
1: designation. Oh, is it Luther's designation? Okay. Yeah, the Epistle of Straw. Yeah, the Epistle of Straw. Yeah. And and it's because to them it, it's just like so it's it's the reason why the Jews started burning so many copies of the Septuagint after the New Testament church started, because so many Christians were using the Septuagint to convert people to Christ, using these Old Testament scriptures that the Jews in Jesus' day he quotes from it. You know, it's a it's an accepted uh usage of the scriptures. But what happens is that the as the church starts moving forward and people they need to use these scriptures to convert people. You know the Jews hated that the Christians were using them so much that they started burning the copies of it. Started polluting. You know the 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 last half of the book of Isaiah was was written at a later date. It was a later edition, and all these things happen. And it's the same thing that that uh, you know our denominational reformers do. Well, the the book of James is really just a straw man thing. It's more of a proverbs, I reckon. You know, like like than than yeah. than gospel.
0: It, and, and you think about the Apostle Paul, that you know Acts nineteen says that unusual miracles were done by the hands of Paul, that even handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from his body. And you you think about this, it, going back to this new life thing and, and a life that's been changed. Certainly, his life was changed. He, there's nobody who has a better pedigree than Paul, and, and he's saying, "Hey, I, I'm changed. Everything was for, was for Christ." But yet he says the words. In, in romans 7 you know the good that i will to do yeah I've... I do not do but the evil that I will not to do that i practice and so he says now if if i do what I will not to do the thing if i'm going to do the things that I don't want to do it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me and so this whole idea is that is that even though the Holy Spirit is living in us there's still this war that that's going on this battle that's going on and so these things are 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 de- When we're still in the flesh, that's what Paul says. He says, Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he says, In my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. He's he's a newborn Christian.
1: Yeah, and and he tells us where that happens at in Romans six. You know, that? don't you remember, know this, that as many of us as were what?
0: Baptized into Christ.
1: Yeah, not irresistibly graced into Christ, but baptized into Christ. And then he'll go on as he marches through and helping them understand that you, you know, brethren, my heart's desire for Israel. They might be saved or they have a zeal according, but it's not according to knowledge. And he goes through and then, so in chapter 12, he kind of, you know, as he as he moves through chapter 10 and this idea of needing a preacher to precede the person and the blessed are the feet of the preacher and mm. all this stuff that, that they can understand that Paul writes in this big circle to help them understand how important the hearing of the gospel is in faith that he can go to Romans 12 and say, I, I'm just begging you. I'm just begging you guys to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable to God and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Is that what no, he says? the renewing of your mind. The renewing mm-hmm. of your mind. How do I renew my mind?
0: That's right. I
1: feed it the stuff I need yeah. to feed it. And, and
0: you think like the whole purpose of Romans 6, he's talked about grace for all these chapters
1: before. That's right.
0: He's like, it's not a law system. But he says, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more in chapter 5. And then he's like, so, okay, so shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, that it gets bigger? No,
1: certainly Yeah, don't ride not. the grace wagon. Don't think that you can just jump on that so that's,
0: wagon. So that tells us, though, that, that this is a, a thing, that this is a choice, that, that, we have, that we're we dead to sin, and it's a, it's not something that, that has, has just been done for us. And this is a, as long as we're in the flesh, you're still going to have this war that's going on, and you can walk away. Anytime. Anytime.
1: Because Hebrews 10, 25, if we sin willfully, after. having obtained the Holy Spirit. No, no, after
0: we receive the knowledge of the truth.
1: After we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains what? No
0: longer sacrifice for sins. No
1: more sacrifices for sins. Hey, we appreciate you guys. There's a thousand other things we could talk about, the way the Holy Spirit manifests, all these things, but we don't want to, you know, we'll save that for another day. We yeah, appreciate- y'all look
0: up Todd at the, at the Burleson Church of Christ, and uh, especially uh, him in, in this series as well. and. Gain a lot of knowledge, Todd. Good to meet you, man, and
2: appreciate, it,
0: Look forward to having you again sometime. I'll we'll see, see you. Buddy. Uh, appreciate you. All right. God bless.
2: This is the unscripted podcast.